Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today we are back in the studio and I am really, really, really excited to have my really gorgeous friend Jeannie O'Carroll on, who I've been trying to get on this podcast for ages, it feels like. Finally, she's here, so I feel really, really stoked. And Jeannie's, uh, as I said, a really great friend of mine, and she's also a psychotherapist who um, specializes in couples therapy and trauma-related issues. So welcome, Jeannie. Thank you, Danny. Lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really stoked. And um, as I said, yeah, just always trying to get you in here, which is really cool. And just as a friend, and I, I know how just committed you are to what you do, and I send a lot of people your way who always come back to me and go, oh, my God, she's an angel. She's so amazing. And it's really great. Yeah. I love when we go for a walk in the morning, and I always think to myself, I'm not going to cry on this walk. <laughs> <laughs> And I always end up crying. The, yeah, I mean, one of the great things you've given to me, the first, I remember we were walking one day and we were talking a bit about um, my childhood and then you said, have you ever read Pete Walker's book? And I'm like, no, no, I probably wouldn't need to read that anyway. And then I went back and read it. I'm like, remember I rang you that day? I'm like, oh, my God, Jeannie, oh, my God, this is me, like everything he's saying. And it was such a gift because it really started, it opened my eyes to to realise that, we don't necessarily, you know, to acknowledge something from our past doesn't make us a victim yeah. of the past. It's actually really empowering. 
Yeah, that's a really, really great point that you're mm. making. Is I think a lot of people do shy away from, you know, I think sort of childhood trauma has in some sense got a bad rap from mm. maybe psychoanalysis and that idea that you have to do years and years and years of trawling through your childhood. Mm. Um, and I think there's been a bit of a misunderstanding and, and that we have a lot to thank to wonderful Gabor Mate, mm. who I came across maybe, I think it was about nine years ago, in terms of some of his views around addiction mm. um, and making that connection, you know, it's not so much why the addiction, but but really why the pain. And mm. and his idea is that, you know, um, that most addictions are located in in childhood pain mm. and suffering and mm. an attempt. It's a solution to try and and cope. Um, so yeah, I think that, that Pete Walker really, when I found him mm. and actually I was told about Pete Walker through one of my clients that I was working with who, mm. who had complex PTSD. Mm. Um, and his book is so easy to read mm. and so compassionate and, and, and there's just, just so much information in there that is just all totally relevant isn't it I know um, to and really gets to see exactly what you were saying I've sort of given a long answer about this idea of, of victim you know mm. it's complete opposite it's about being able to reclaim mm. and hold and recover um, so you know recovery is about being able to come back to something mm. that we've lost mm. and I think childhood trauma um what it does is it really severs our connection to ourselves yeah. um, and that's sort of our authentic self mm. because when we are, you know, exposed to our attachment system is threatened, mm. uh, maybe by we, for example, we're a terrible, we, you know, in the terrible twos and we're tantruming because we want that chocolate biscuit before supper <laughs> and, our, you know, parents because of their childhoods can't handle maybe how their anger was treated, they can't handle an expression of anger. And so mm. they come down on the child in ways that are really frightening um, or punish, punishing. Mm. And so that child learns, you know, that young part of us just learns to suppress anger. Mm. Um, and, and, and then we become out of touch with certain healthy, because healthy anger Hell is around being able to assert our needs and to claim our boundaries mm. uh, and be in touch with, you know, all of the feelings. So, you know, many of us come from families where maybe anger was overused and sadness wasn't allowed or in some families anger wasn't allowed but, you know, you were allowed to... Um, you know, you're allowed to cry, but you certainly weren't allowed to. So then maybe you've developed a sense where you can be in your sadness, but you can't be in your your healthy um, anger. Yeah, anger. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. We're all we're all really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way two ways about it. But one thing I found really interesting because I, I remember saying to you one day, but I don't feel like my childhood was particularly traumatic as such, but it wasn't mm. until I looked into things more and I realized, wow, you know, having an addict mother um, was not a very stable, you know, the, the, mm. the, she was very inconsistent parenting yeah. style from her and caused a lot of anxiousness within myself. And so I never wanted to, yeah, I, I, I guess I'd compare it to other people who had actual, you know, like maybe friends, 
that I know that were molested mm-hmm. or things like that. Now, to me, that's trauma. But I guess it doesn't have to be this big event either to be this, you know, it is a repetitive, something of a repetitive nature where you're not getting consistencies or you're not mm-hmm. getting loved or held or, or different things. That's Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and the way, yeah, the way that you're being loved um, because, you know, as, 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 as little ones, our survival depends on proximity to, mm. um, you know, being um, to our caregivers. And if we, um, for some reason, um, you know, shut down that system because we, it, we, we see a reaction in a parent, they're not coping. You know, one of the things with when parents have maybe got addiction issues or their own mental health issues Mm. the child is you know still so little they don't have the perspective to go ah you know what what I'm receiving is in some way um, not good enough Um, they just experience you know the 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 phrase that I love um, by a wonderful woman Janina Fisher who's done lots of work in trauma she says you know when the environment fails the child then the child feels that they have failed that they are a failure Mm. Um, and that's where the kind of um, development of shame yeah. and and feeling that there's something about me that is not okay. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy um, of love. There's, you know, because yeah. they're not receiving it in in you know in it well you know in a, in a good enough amount that yeah. that that gives us a sense of being delighted in. You know, being that when we have a need, it gets responded to in a way that, you know, when a parent can't cope, then we have a need, a healthy need even, for mm. to be helped with our homework, for example. Um, then the parent will often, if they're not coping, will either ignore that need or shame that need or get angry and irritable. Mm. And so what happens is then those needs get retracted and we no longer express them, we, you know, so we learn it's not safe to ask for help or it's not um, safe. For example, perfectionism is another really big one that develops as a result of childhood neglect or or abuse Um, is the sense that I have to be perfect in order to be loved. And then making mistakes in life. And, you know, we all know that whether it's being a performer, being a therapist or being a teacher, it's all about learning, learning a language. It's all about Mm. being able to make mistakes. But if we Mm. learned that, you know, wasn't safe to make a mistake, then, you know, and if I make a mistake, then I am a mistake. Um, Mm. So it's that real kind of absolute black and white thinking that develops yeah, um, and, and so you can as you see s- how that would happen yeah. with a child because they mm-hmm. don't have all the abstract thinking abilities yet. That's, That's right. <clears throat> they don't have that perspective and, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so sad. And it's little wonder then too if we've kind of been brought up this way and that's our coping mechanism, then it's no wonder we end up self-soothing, I guess, with mm-hmm. alcohol or food or sex or whatever it is that we then become addicted to well that's right and i think you know gabo mate's done a lot of work around you know you is helping people understand that the um endorphine the natural endorphine system um in human beings that develops in order to to be able to for for babies and 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 caregivers to bond when there is a lot of stress and trauma then those receptors shut down Mm. Um, and so when 
a person coming into adulthood discovers whether it was alcohol or or, or marijuana or or for people you know that you know who discover heroin for the first time and that might be the first time that they feel like they're getting that that warm hug yeah because heroin isn't you know, opiate and it's you know it's got the same yeah um uh it, it has serves the same function yeah. so you can see how for when young people are kind of you know experimenting and some people experiment but they still their lives don't get derailed um, and for other people when when they do discover a, a substance then that mm. then they you know it takes them um, because it's something they're they're getting they're receiving something that they've they haven't had that, that was lacking yeah, yeah. that was lacking i know in his book in the realm of hungry ghosts um which was just an incredible book i loved it mm. that gabo mate we're talking about um he was saying like the greater the addiction or even uh he's even talking about obese you know with obesity mm. that often there's a correlation between the 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 more obese the person or in terms of an addiction the greater the addiction there's a direct correlation between the amount of trauma that they've gone through and mm. that the the greater the healing that needs to happen yeah. so my question what i wanted to ask you was the more i look into this and the more i read and learn especially people like gabor mate and pete walker is that that of course the 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 reason that we've um ended up with a dependency i guess on alcohol mm. or other substances is it's a band-aid it's there as a protective mechanism or mm. a way to soothe us to, if, if you were to remove that band-aid as such you have to like, i've always thought you have to fill fill the void with something else but really i think there needs to be healing like a deep healing that needs mm. to occur um for you to successfully be able to get rid of that addiction or the habit I, so i guess it's finding the need finding what it is that you're trying to mask yeah that that's right and i guess that's where when we do give up something and look and just to be you know add as well that um addictions are not just substances they are mm. um you know anything from work sex relationships um netflix netflix exactly the internet pleasing people yeah you know, the need to please in order to ensure your, your safety in the world mm. so all of you know there's all these behaviors that can i mean all these things in themselves can be wonderful healthy things but when they when we've had you know a significant childhood trauma that's never been addressed then even if we give up one substance or one thing then you often find that um then we might then turn to something very else. quickly to something else yeah. unless we go on that journey i guess to kind of really asking what is it what happened um and and how has it affected me yeah and and then being able to start that journey of recovery which you know is basically also connection to our authentic selves yeah um, and our authentic selves mean actually being able to connect to our feelings and our body yeah. because one of the thing that trauma does is it also disconnects us it disconnects us from feelings it disconnects us from our body our body sensations are often very triggering um, yeah. and then we get what Pete Walker talks about as um, emotional flashbacks yeah um, which is a, a kind of 
what he calls amygdala hijacking. So amygdala mm. is that part of the brain. It's the smoke alarm part of the brain, the survival brain that detects threat and danger. Mm. Mm. Um, and when we've, you know, I've, I've worked with many people who until coming to therapy didn't make the connection yeah. between um, a really violent household and parents who were always fighting and, you know, physical beatings and threats um, and, and just recognizing how, you know, what the impact that that had on 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 them and their mm. their ability to to actually even be in their in their bodies because they constantly when they're with a new partner, for example, and they say something or do something and they might not be consciously aware and and something will trigger them back into an emotional flashback mm. and then they'll kind of shut down. And so they might shut down and withdraw from their partner, and then mm. their partner kind of thinks, "Bloody hell, you know, where where she, they, she disappears on me, mm. um, and she's always puts up a wall, um, and um, you know that that's that sort of more kind of from an attachment perspective that might be more of an uh, avoidant attachment or an what we mm. call an island attachment style, mm. um, which is kind of auto-regulation. You know, rather than regulating our feelings through connecting, we regulate our feelings through um, withdraw- we're, we're coming back to ourself. It's, yeah. it's like an automatic, it's like the subconscious really, isn't it? It's yeah. this automatic system that kicks yeah. in and, and it's your survival mode. Yeah. I know in Pete Walker's book where he's got the four Fs, is it the yes. flight, fawn, freeze, what's the other one? Fri- fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Fawn. Yes. Yeah, they're the four yeah. Fs and that's often mm. what we go into as a response to that emotional flashback. Yes. See, I'm a good student, aren't I? Yay. I read the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm definitely a, a, a fight. So if I'm yes. feeling um, triggered, then I'll blow up. Which and is, argue and assert yourself and be loud and, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It talks about through the emotional flashbacks. It's like, and it can be just a look. It doesn't, it could exactly. be a smell. Yeah. It could be, it doesn't even have to be a big event. It can be. And it yeah. often, and it often isn't. It's often what we call a sort of a sub, cortical detection system it's uh Mm. and there's another kind of um notion here that's important which is what we call implicit memory Mm. and so implicit memory is memories that we have which 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 we hold in our our body you Mm. know the the idea that our body remembers um and Mm. Bessel van der Kolk you know wrote a wonderful book called the the body keeps the score oh yeah and I think there's been you know massive um breakthrough in psychotherapy and psychiatry and psychology and um and the and the and the realm and the field of healing um really around recognizing how we have to bring the body into healing you know we have to mm. have a really holistic approach um and that's where i guess mindfulness and yoga and mm. body centered psychotherapy you know things like somatic experiencing which is an amazing um, method um, by a person called Peter Levine and it's really about recognizing that when we are really you know when things happen to us that are completely overwhelming either when we're really little so implicit memory is when you know maybe before the ages of four where we haven't got that part of our brain that has sort of autobiographical memory where we go oh yeah I went there and I remember that and mm. then when I was six I did this it's when we're really little and you know 
things happen to us that are overwhelming and frightening and we don't have a conscious memory of that but our body does. Our body remembers it. Our body remembers and it remembers the smells. You know, smell is one of the biggest triggers around yeah. trauma. Um, you know, a look, yeah, a, a, just an environment, whether whether it was that we were always taken out into the garden and um, or downstairs or wherever it was that things happened to us that were really frightening. Mm-hmm. It might just even being on grass would, could be a trigger. Wow. So you could be with your new partner and you're getting and you're having a lovely picnic in the grass and it's just been freshly cut and the smell of the freshly cut lawn which is you know beautiful and the sun shining goes into that part of your brain where implicit memory Mm. lies and then you start to feel unsafe and then you look at this new person in your life and you feeling unease and anxiety in your body and and then you have to you make up a story around well I can't trust this person um, and little would you know that it was just the cut grass, but how yeah. do you ever get to the point where you know it was the cut grass and not actually the new partner? Do you know what I yes, mean? Yes, well, like, I guess that's where, you know, and it's my passion is, is you know, working whether it's individually or with couples or in groups, but it's just working in a particular space where I'm f- fully present or anybody who's who's in the position of therapist to really be present with people and, and, and their story and their life, to be mm. interested in them and and paying attention and helping, you know, through this re- developing this trusting relationship, being able to access and, and fill out, you know, remember what 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 it is that happened to them mm. and and then be able to be but then but now they're not on their own. And they don't have to relive that as that frightened little one with mm. with parents who weren't able to soothe or be bigger, stronger, wiser, kind. Um, and you're kind of there with them, and you're helping to, I uh, yeah, hold their hand and say, "Wow, that must have been really frightening." And mm. you know, what did you do when? mum was doing that or when you came home from school and mum was drunk again mm. do you remember what happened in your body what and you know you so it's just this curiosity mm. um in a very gentle explorative way psychoeducation mm. is also like really important mm. for me in the, in the way that i work um because that helps to reduce the sense of shame and it re- kind of restores dignity and value because when we make and we can see the connections and kind of mm. go, okay, well, that makes sense, you know. And, and Pete Walker's very big on that, you know, yeah. which is he, he, you know, he, so he talks about the four F's and understanding which very natural, healthy survival response, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, are all in, in, in a healthy way all needed. You know, a healthy fight response, for example, is being able to assert our boundary. Mm. Um, you know, a healthy flight response is being able to get out of dodge when mm. things are dangerous. Yeah, you know, and yeah. um, a fawn response might be to yeah to to listen and submit and give way when needed. When mm. somebody's angry, you can you know pacify, but then those responses when they become habituated as as that's what you needed to do to survive. Yeah, then they turn into they sort of derail your life because if you're in a relationship and you're freezing 
um, and shutting down and disconnecting mm. and maybe using TV or substances to numb yourself out because um, it's just too painful mm. um, to feel everything that you're feeling, then, of course, that's going to sabotage your relationship. Mm. Um, and then the fawn is also a really interesting one because there's been a lot of um, – Pete Walker links the fawn response, which is one that I completely identify with. I've probably got uh, flight and, and fawn. And fawn is that's to kind of fuss all over people? Is yeah, that right? fawn is, is to act servilely um, in order to ensure your safety. So it's submitting, pleasing, appeasing. So I had a, you know, I had a mother who, um, after my my father left um, us three children when when I was six, in quite really difficult circumstances, and my mum took to drinking, and when she drank, she was very violent and really angry, mm-hmm. and very blaming. She would often threaten, um, you know, to put us in a children's home, mm-hmm. if you know I was probably just doing something just really normal. Mm. you know, age appropriate mm. at the time. But, you know, when a parent's not coping, then they also you, you know, have expectations for children that are way beyond their developmental mm. years, which is another thing that I think many people, until they go to therapy or, or whichever way, it doesn't have to be in therapy, but whichever way they kind of start to explore and kind of go, God, yeah, that was like I was only six and I was, you know, cooking dinner for my brothers. And if I burnt dinner, I got whacked. That was like, mm. I would never expect that of my six-year-old. Mm. You know, as you start to realize that these expectations um, that were put on you when mm. you were really little. And, you know, it becomes a sort of the pe- parentified child. Mm. The fawn response is when the child has to, in a way, really take care of the parent and mm. take care of the parent's needs. Yeah. Um, if I express joy, mum gets sad because mum's still grieving for the loss of a sibling that might have died in childbirth, for example. So, you know, there's, there's just all these kind of examples where, mm. for, you know, for some people that I've worked with, um, actually succeeding is a trigger. Wow. And so I've worked with couples where, and I, and I love the fact that, that my trauma background can really come in with my couple work mm. because so much of what goes on in, in relationships with couples is, is trauma based. So, you know, worked with a couple where, you know, when, 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 when one of them was, you know, achieved something and was kind of in the partner kind of went, wow, that's amazing. They kind of went into a shame place. Wow. And and it wasn't until therapy really that kind of was able to kind of correlate that to a mother who was very shaming and very much a perfectionist, probably quite a lot of narcissistic qualities. Wow. And um, he was never allowed to um, to express joy. Jeez. At wow. home. I, I'd imagine mm. too, and I, I know with some people that um, – that I work with as well, that they'll be going really well on their alcohol journey and feeling mm. really great about themselves and then bang, they'll just self-sabotage. Yeah. And with one person, and I'm not a therapist, but just with the talking that mm. we do and just naturally, you know, you inquire and ask questions, um, that they felt that they weren't deserve they weren't deserving enough to live the life that they actually wanted for themselves. Yes. And that came and that was really interesting. It was like, mm. wow. And then 
just getting them to a place of feeling like, no, they, they're worthy of that and yeah. that, that it's okay. And So there was a belief there, wasn't there, underneath yeah. that? Um, and I think you, from from what I, um, I think you're doing amazing work as you, uh, you Thank know, you. On, on your journey and, and, and the help that you're providing for people um, as you're understanding more and more of what, you know, it's like the, the tip of the iceberg is what's on top and what's what you can see. Mm. And then underneath are all these kind of unconscious feelings and beliefs and, and needs mm. that get hidden that yeah. the person learns to not ask for. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, that can really explain that someone can have the best really be going along well, um, but that there's something much deeper that's sitting there, a core belief yeah. that I'm not worthy. Yeah. Or a core belief that um, if I um, open myself up to love, I'll be let down again. You know, I'll be I'll be abandoned. So yeah. there's that, you know, that, that, and in a way, I guess, addiction can be a sort of form of self-abandonment. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I totally it, think it, it is. In a way, from a Gabo Mate perspective, it's initially a way of trying to survive and it's a solution to this problem that they're not really aware of because it's a, they're trying to soothe their nervous system. Mm. Um, but over time, it becomes a kind of self-abandonment um, because we're not looking after the inner the inner child <clears throat> and, uh, I, yeah. yeah I absolutely agree with that and I would say that often with people that especially when they really want it when they really want to get rid of the alcohol but then they it's like they hit the fuck it button and it's just like everything they want for themselves gets thrown out the window and when you actually address it with someone and say that is a form of self-abandonment can you see how you're abandoning yourself and what you want mm. most people it it, it really sets something off inside them. They're like, yeah. oh, my God, yes, you know, yeah, yeah that is exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Where they'll think, oh, no, I was just partying with friends. But when you go deeper into it, you know, mm. often. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's another notion. There's a, a great couple therapist called um, Terry Real, and he um, he was a – his mentor was um, Pia Melody, who really who coined the uh, phrase codependency. Okay. Um, and has done amazing work in for recovery for so many people. And, yeah, so actually that was something I went off on a tangent there. But with the fawn response, it's very linked to, to codependency. Oh, that makes so sense. So often people who get into relationships, which is another kind of – I'd probably be more – you know, I, I left home young, went out into the world – kind of felt like my life was in front of me just get away from all that bad stuff but I got into relationships um, with people with addiction issues Mm. because I was kind of primed for that and that was my (laughs) you know if I could if I can um, you know I was always wanting to find a way to help my mum to stop drinking Mm. and so in a way then that kind of just got continued Mm. somewhere else and and that fawn response of kind of if I can look after this other person and get them to love me um, through helping them, you know, then I can, then then everything will be okay. But it wasn't, no, it doesn't work. it wasn't, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your your point about, I was, oh, that's right, I was thinking of Terry Real, that's right. Um, so he's got this notion about uh, the adaptive child mm-hmm. and the kind of functional wise adult so that we, you know, the adaptive child is the, is whatever we had to do as little ones um, to cope and survive. Mm. 
and that when we're kind of in our adult um, lives and something triggers us and we go into the adaptive child part, we can usually tell because there's certain adjectives that describe the adaptive child, which is, you know, relentless. So getting into an argument and pursuing relentlessly um, black and white thinking, Hmm. um, you know, harsh, using harsh words, kind of um, tight in the body, Mm. um, judgmental, punishing, Mm. um, you know, and the adjectives that describe a functional wise adult are yielding, um, subtle, um, soft in the body, Hmm. forgiving. Mm. um, Yeah, so we can usually tell when we've been triggered and we go into that adaptive child place, um, you know, that we need to take care. We need to, you know, so I guess that that, that recovery is, is being able to identify and become self aware and um yeah recognize when our our little one is is running the show and in the driving seat totally and i think it's really important when you do take away the alcohol and you take away the band-aid just Mm -hmm. like we're saying as as gabor was saying that if you don't address the underlying issues then it will often then that addiction will go to somewhere else Mm -hmm. just to be aware of what's going on is so empowering so like in my journey recently, just learning all this stuff, it's like, wow, now you see why you act like that or that's why I do that or this. And so really for people to really delve into that, this kind of work, mm-hmm. I just feel is so important. And if someone was, okay, so say someone was to take away the alcohol and then stuff comes up, it just naturally mm-hmm. happens, stuff comes up because yeah. we're not squashing it down with alcohol anymore. Mm-hmm. What's a good, where's a good starting point for someone if, if, it's not available to find an amazing therapist like yourself. Mm. What is a good starting point for someone to go, okay, how am I going to heal this? Or I know stuff's coming up. How am I going to deal with it rather than drinking or going to eat 500 donuts or whatever, you know, to try and squash it? Yeah. Uh, Well, look, I mean, I would definitely recommend um, Pete Walker's book. Yeah. (laughs) You know, complex PTSD from surviving to thriving it's really wonderful exploration for anyone and you know he says in a way which is quite sobering that in a way we're, we're all from traumatizing families mm. on some level mm. you know that we if you just look at the history of mankind humankind mm. um, and war migration colonialism mm. um you know, discrimination, persecution, that in a way, you know. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've all, on some level, um, our families... We're descendant mm. from families where, mm. where there has been great suffering. Um, so, yeah, Pete Walker really offers practical, it's, it's a guidebook with psychoeducation and a lot of practical exercises as well. So I think, you know, reading, just reaching out and finding, finding books, um, journaling can yeah. be a wonderful way. And I know a lot of people start off kind of hating journaling and then get to really like it yeah um you know definitely mindfulness is 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 something you know joining um uh, groups as well and and i mean i I guess there's all sorts of recovery groups out there Mm. um for, for for people uh definitely you know if you can find a therapist i think that um is really important so you're not you don't feel alone in the beginning and trying to kind of work it out all for yourself that there's somebody Mm. else there Mm. supporting you and being able to point out things that you might not be able to see yeah Um, and the mindfulness stuff is really around strengthening our connection to ourselves in the present moment and into our bodies because because that's the really big thing that when we have experienced trauma, you know, Agaba Mate says is that in a way, things like divorce, growing up in domestic violence, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, they're not trauma, they're traumatic events. What is trauma is the impact that those mm. traumatic events have on us internally. Wow. And yeah. and so it's being able to really, re, you know, understand what the impact was, so that we can how we were then disconnected from our authentic selves, mm. and how to you know reclaim a relationship with our bodies, you know, mm. and um, and so mindfulness is good because it's that present moment. Actually, ancient um, many ancient cultures really understood at a very deep level what we're now finding out you know with our rational intellectual minds Mm. um and you know ancient ceremonies dancing together being in rhythm together being in circles um having community yeah rituals um were ways that we could in a way heal some of these traumatic events that 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 are, are unfortunately part of life yeah um so does that answer a yeah, little, a, a little bit yeah that's fantastic oh absolutely yeah even lately i've been um going through some big emotional stuff um because my dad's kind of transitioning i guess he's in palliative care now at the mm. moment and um big stuff has been coming up for me and rather than well, drinking is not an option for me to to squash that might have been a bit of overeating in there <laughs> But really what I'm doing is trying to be super mindful. So I've mentioned this in the last couple of podcasts I've done where I'll I'll try and walk without listening to something. Or even Mm. if it's simple, like I'm in the shower and I'll stop and think to myself, I'm in the shower. I feel the water on on my hair, on my skin, and just taking a few moments to be really present in what I'm doing. Or I could be 
pouring myself a water from the fridge and I'll, I'll think about that. I'm pouring and I'll say it to myself in my head. I'm pouring myself a water right now. And it seems so silly, but it's really grounding. Yeah. Gets yeah, you out absolutely. of that, out of your head and out of this place where you're just repeating over and over and over again this or um, catastrophizing in your mind, exactly. like what's going to happen. Racing thoughts and, yeah. and, and being in the future, futurizing, futurizing which, is, yeah. which is very much a part of the kind of trauma response is, is being disconnected from ourselves in the present moment. And, and you know, that, that those exercises that you're doing are so – they're really powerful and so important. And um, I came across a wonderful Zen teacher called Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, he's now yeah. very, very well known. But I lived in Vietnam in the 90s and I lived in um, central Vietnam. I was a teacher and um, I ended up going to this pagoda – um, and developing a relationship with the monks there and you know, oh, wow. just in this beautiful place. And eventually when they trusted me enough, they told me that their teacher was Thich Nhat Hanh and that he was in exile in, in France and he was banned in, in Vietnam um, yeah. as a result of the, the communist regime. But um, so in my, when I was around 30, I went to Plum Village. I got the opportunity to go there wow. and and spend 10 days there and and really embraced and kind of got it that that the importance because he really brought mindfulness to the west yeah um and 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 i i started to incorporate some of those things um into my life when i was in my early 30s i um you know, fell in love with a man and had a beautiful boy and then that relationship broke down and i thought oh my god how am i going to cope and then you know i found titnit hun and 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 that really helped Mm. to be to just you know he he talks about you know even when your phone rings or the clock where you see it on you know on the hour anything that you want to bring into your life when you're driving mm. to be able to say when I'm in my car I'm I'm just driving rather than automatically putting on the radio and listening to the next news mm. report or like you say always listening to podcasts um, which are wonderful but sometimes just actually being able to take three breaths and mm. feel our feet on the ground mm. and just look at the water lapping as we walk along the beach and just really be to be present and come back to ourselves because when we kind of connected to ourselves then we're able to regulate ourselves mm. and we'll be able to to not um we're more likely then to not overeat or reach out for alcohol because we're actually self-regulating and we're not in yeah. this sort of state of react reactivity, like we're not just reacting to our environment that's mm. and things that are going on around us. Mm. I was reading, I think it was in Joe Dispenza's book that we are most of us run on ninety ninety five percent of our daily habits from our subconscious mind. So we run from ninety five percent of our subconscious, and only five percent of our conscious mind is running the show in most cases, mm. which then that really has you in that state of reactivity and, and just not really being present and aware of what you're even doing or what you're feeling or where it's sitting yeah. in your body. I know recently I've been really focusing on where if I'm starting to feel upset or things like where it is in my body, like where am I feeling, how does it feel, like being really yeah. aware of it. Yeah. You know, where is it sitting? It's sitting in my stomach and what does it feel like? Oh, I was, even imagine what color it is and Absolutely, really yeah. try and focus on it yeah. and be it aware. Brings, it brings our thinking brain back online, our prefrontal cortex, yeah. and, and that's the, you know, where we can mediate our nervous system. Yes. So when we're triggered and we're getting stressed, we're going more and more into our 
to our kind of um, emotional brain, the limbic brain, which has the amygdala and that sends the alarm down into our brainstem, which is all the, you know, heart rate increasing and, you know, into the kind of primitive fight or flight, um, fight or flight yeah. response and that's right so even you know i think in the beginning when people would go to therapists and they would kind of bring these sort of more mindful practices and where do you feel that in your body and you know i think there was you know could very understandably be a response of what the hell am i doing that for it's got no bearing um mm. but it actually yeah it's it's so powerful because it starts to once we're connected to what's happening in our body and we've got this amazing nerve called the vagus nerve Mm. um, which runs from our brain all the way down through the center of our body through the throat through the heart and into our gut our gut feeling which Mm. is like our second brain Mm. and they found that that it's something like 80 percent of that information actually goes from our body back to our brain. Wow. So when we're in touch with our body, we're much more likely to be able to master life um, and our feelings and make more cho- make choices that, that previously we weren't able to make. And, and, you know, that just makes me think of the idea that Gabo Mate says as well, is that, you know, the kind of mainstream or the bit more outdated idea now is that addiction is a choice Mm. um and um you know whereas and 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 that that addiction i think the american um, medical society of of addiction you know states that 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 addiction is is primarily a a brain problem um Mm. and a genetic problem yeah and of course gabo mate you know you know says that he 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 doesn't believe that to be the case at all mm. that it is connected to what we've been talking about today to 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 childhood suffering and pain and so if we are to feed back up to our brain to be able to function well and 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 then and actually learn to make choices because prior to doing that work we are mm. just acting out of survival and instinct oh my god yes yeah. that's so right like to be a to actually be making a choice rather than just to be on autopilot, like to, yeah. to grab the drink or grab the donut yeah. or whatever. Yeah, actually mm. consciously aware and make the choice. And I think if you are getting particularly triggered too with alcohol, I would say to people, take a moment and try and to try and distract yourself for 10 or 20 minutes. That's usually how long a craving lasts for. Mm. But if you do, yeah, take a breath and really think about it. Really think about this trigger. Like, what is it that's triggering me? Where am I feeling it in my body? What could I do instead? And just Mm. then make it a mindful choice. And even being able to say, which could be really useful, you know, actually Pete Walker, just very practically for people listening, he's got 13 steps to to managing an emotional flashback. Ah, that's And they are brilliant. And so his first one is just, I'm having an emotional flashback. Yeah. I'm afraid, but I'm not in danger. Or Mm. I'm sad or I'm... You know, really acknowledging, you know, to name it is to tame it. So, you know, to, awesome. that, that when we kind of kind of go, ah, oh, I'm having an emotional flashback right now. It's not, um, you know, just this attack of yeah. I need a drink. Yes. No, it's there's something going on that has been, been, been activated in me and I need to, how, how can I hold myself? Yes. How can I hold myself with love? 
you know, that could be maybe going outside and if you're a nature person and putting your feet, taking your shoes off, putting your feet on the earth and just grounding yourself and doing, there's a wonderful exercise called orientation, which is just going through the five senses. Mm. Um, And that might be um, taking a few minutes to look, allow your, your head to move all directions up at the ceiling or at the sky, down at the ground, behind you mm. and and literally all around so that this ancient part of our brain is what it's doing it's detecting it's kind of going okay there's no danger oh, wow. then um the next part is to choose five things that you can see so you might go oh, i can see there's um ash's guitars on the wall um mm. there's a air conditioner you go through five things you can see four wow. things that you can hear three things that you can smell two things that you can touch in any order that you want. But just taking that time to orientate, what it does is it allows that part of our brain, the thinking brain, which is what mindfulness develops, um, and it's also our social engagement brain, which allows us to then connect, to come back online and allow ourselves to be in the present moment. And then, you know, maybe it is, God, I'm actually really sad and I need to call a friend. And maybe then we could actually make the choice rather than going for the drink. Actually, what I'm needing is comfort right now. Oh, God, you're good. You, yeah, you know? you're so good. Yeah. <laughs> so That's it's just awesome. slowing things down because, you know, our smart brain is slower. Mm. Our primitive brain is super flippant, like lightning speed fast. Mm. It makes really quick decisions. Yeah. Um, that can help us to survive, but they are often they can sometimes be really bad decisions in our in our lives. They can you know we misread things. I mean, it might maybe even having a, a call with a friend and jumping to conclusion that something they've said has meant that they don't like you or the friendships at risk, and that could be enough of a trigger yeah. to go and have a drink. Yeah, because that smart brain jumps to conclusions based on the past and sometimes those conclusions are not are not right so you could just stop yeah. and rather than jump you know just yeah yeah just, just take say, a moment. oh yeah take a moment and maybe kind of go what's happening for me oh i feel i felt hurt and then maybe you know you maybe it's not the right time to actually say that to the that person ring them back and say look i felt hurt but maybe it's speaking to someone else that you do really trust and mm. then you could work out yeah, maybe I do need to actually contact that friend um, mm. and, and, and find out what was happening for them. So you, we start to make repair because, mm. you know, life from an attachment perspective is full of ruptures. Mm. You know, we have little ruptures with our partners, with our friends at work, mm. um, with ourselves. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and when we overuse a survival mechanism whether it's working or trying to be perfect or alcohol or Mm. cocaine then we what we're doing is we we're not making the repair where the repair needs to be made yes isn't it yes yeah so it all starts to build up and then what ends up happening is that life just feels dangerous and you know and we start to not trust people um Mm. or ourselves or ourselves and get into dysfunction yeah yeah. Oh God, you are! You're so amazing. 
Yeah, well, and I love that thing, to name it is to tame it. That is genius. Can I, yes. is that yours, Jeannie? No, or? I think I can't, rem- I can't remember where I got it, but it's definitely was out there in the universe by some other very um, ingenious That's, person. It's going on my Instagram yeah. <laughs> probably today. <laughs> that is so awesome. Just one other thing I wanted to talk about too, which has been really powerful for me lately, so I wanted to share with people, is that concept of reparenting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember you you introduced me to that concept, and I think was it Pete Walker? I can't. Yeah, yeah. it's it's Pete Walker and, and many 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 other um, I can you know cyst theories and um, do incorporate that. Yeah, like noticing patterns that would happen in childhood, and then giving ourselves what we didn't receive as a child. If a parent wasn't very loving, then you can then be loving to yourself. Yeah, and I just think that is a really powerful tool as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and and it, and it kind of works hand in hand with with that inner, you know, working with our wounded part or inner child work. There's lots of different, you know, different systems call it in different language, but it, it's it's again about acknowledging that we all, you know, some in some systems they call it, you know, this parts theory, which is that we're all made up of different parts. Um, of ourselves and some of those parts are really functional and um, you know the kind of driving part that makes us get up in the morning and go to work and we can have a perfectionist part that you know wants everything to be perfect and and then we might have a part that is very sort of disowned part Mm -hmm. um, which is to allow ourselves to rest and relax because we've labeled that part as lazy Mm. Um, and so we've got all these different parts of ourselves and our, and our younger parts that that kind of again get ignored. They get exiled, yeah, you know, mm. because they're because they're seen as dangerous because of how they were treated when yeah. when we were little. Um, so I guess the reparenting is being able to, with compassion, um, embrace all of ourselves, all these parts of ourselves. Um, and these these younger parts that get that get um, that need to be held, like you say, that weren't held very well, and instead not punished, and mm. and and um, ignored, and kind of um, and exiled as or, or, or labelled as being bad. Yeah, you know, often in therapy, when people first come, they often have got a very strong inner critic, mm. um, which is what Pete Walk talks about yeah. a lot as well and he talks about shrinking the inner critic yeah. as as an essential part of recovery yeah because we i think people listening will will many will will, will relate to that you know that voice inside our heads that is really quite cruel yeah to ourselves you oh know? god yeah um you've done it again you're such a loser you're never going to succeed yeah oh, no one will ever love you I hate that. I hate it when I, you know, feel that weakness, or I'm just about to cry, and mm. you know, whatever it is that that we can't accept. Mm. Um, and so that shrinking, that inner critic, is learning how to be to reparent, to hold ourselves yeah. um, with the kind of love and tenderness and patience that that we deserved, mm. um, and that every child deserves, mm. but um, many don't get. Yeah. Yeah. It's such powerful work and it's such powerful, like what you're doing and what you're giving to people as well is just so amazing. And I, 
I love it every time I if I send someone your way and they always like I said they always come back just saying oh my god she's just so incredible and the way you hold people and enable them to heal things in their life I just think you're just so amazing and I wish there was 20 of you because you are hard to get into I know that's hard to get an appointment with you for people but could I put your details on the show notes just if someone did want to reach out absolutely and what I just wanted to say that is that um, in a way I'm probably trying to heal myself you know they say that um, you know therapists are people who need to spend 40 hours a week in therapy themselves yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) oh look sometimes when I'm even with coaching with someone and we get to some of that kind of stuff I'm like wow, it can really hit a nerve with me. Sometimes, it's probably really unprofessional, but some people I'll end up crying as well <laughs> because I'm like, oh, you know, it hits a nerve and yeah. it's so I amazing. Think that's absolutely, I think therapy does have to be real and genuine and, um, you know, um, for me it's not about being being an expert and knowing more. It's really about being with and traveling together and so I've got to allow myself to be touched yes. by by everyone's story that I work with um, and and that's actually what I really love and so you know definitely sometimes emotion arises and and I found actually even in feedback that when I mean obviously I don't burst into tears and sob but you know often I will be moved to the point that my clients will be able to see that and mm. and you know I've, they've said later that how how important that was for them to feel that I was really being, that I wasn't just this machine. Yeah. No, you're very <laughs> yeah. intuitive as well. Yeah. Like I, you, you are just an intuitive person as well. So I think mm. that probably helps. And it's not just about busting knowledge on people. It's about yeah. a real feeling and a um, rapport yeah. that you develop yeah. with people, which is so important, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that was just amazing. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, it's a, a pleasure. It was less frightening than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a pro. Uh, there's a million things I want to ask you, and I'm sure I'll probably get messages from mm-hmm. people that um, will want to ask questions as well. So hopefully I'll get you back on at some yeah, point Yeah, as no, well. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. And it, it, um, there is so much. Yeah, I guess it's just the opening conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and hopefully that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch and resonate with, with with people out there to know that they don't have to do this all on their own. Yeah. Um, it's not your fault. Yeah. You know, what happened to you is not your fault. And that's a really big thing because self-blame, self-abandonment and self-blame is such a big uh, consequence often of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know, it doesn't even have to have been a really big thing that went on it didn't have to be a big event like you say it can be a repetitive even the the parent looked at you in a certain way or wasn't available to you in a a, and that can cause trauma and can need healing so it's like filling the gaps with with that reparenting too it's so for me it's like kind of filling the gaps or filling some of the holes yeah that might be present there that need Mm -hmm. to be soothed and healed and, and fixed so that you can become a whole person yeah and feel whole and then you can then give to others give to your own children or absolutely you know. and and that kind of just it just creates this the, the the circle of healing which is that when we go on our own healing journey we then get the resilience to be able to make amends with our children or our partners 
or anyone in our life that maybe when we were in the grips of, of that unconscious behavior, that survival behavior where we might have hurt others. Mm. Um, and, mm. and, and again, not going into guilt and shame yeah. and self-blame, but holding ourselves with, with compassion, going, I, I was doing the best I could at the time, given what I grew up in, what I had available to me. Yeah. And, and I guess that also comes into, I think many people listening might be thinking, you know, yeah, you know, they can see where their parents let them down or things that happened and sometimes they're very extreme and sometimes they're, you know, we, we don't even want to go there because we've got this idea that we've just got to, you know, we can't, we don't want to kind of turn on our parents. Yeah. And, and it's not about turning on our parents. It's about being able to recognize that, they <clears throat> there's some things they 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 weren't able to based on what they had in in their hands at the time yeah um and and so yeah it it just helps the kind of healing everywhere it helps that compassion i know that like when i look back on, on my own child and i think well that's all that was available you know and there was a reason there was this there was reasons why say my mum ended up so addicted and you know in the state that she got herself into it, i'm sure she wasn't doing it for fun there was no. reasons or you know you can have the compassion once you heal yourself and start working on mm. on cultivating the self-love to you do it's more available to you to be a little bit more forgiving or totally. compassionate and and restoring you know in in the system that i trained in called family constellations they're called oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. um you know restoring the orders of love so in families where either through, you know, any event, war, death, adultery, you know, the birth of uh, the, the death of a child, um, you know, big traumatic events, it can disrupt the orders of love, which I talked about a little bit earlier, where mm. the child becomes parentified mm. um, or, or a child is forced to step up and be a kind of an emotional partner of one of the parents. Mm. Um, and, and so when you start to heal, you, you, you go back to being where you belong. Yes. You know, which is not taking responsibility for everybody else's suffering or healing your parents or rescuing your friends. Mm -hmm. And you actually, you know, so it kind of ripples out. And, and it can be really healing even with our own parents, you know, because we, you know, our parents might be stuck doing something that they've always done. But then when we start to heal, we can go, I'm, you know, mum, actually, that's no longer okay. Yeah. You know, I, I actually deserve this. I'm going to, you know, take my space now because I don't want to be around you when you are shouting or drunk or... And, and then it gives, it hands back um, the pain to where it needs, you know, because people can't heal their own pain unless mm. they kind of get it handed back to them that's yours to to, to hold oh, wow. um, rather yeah. than because often children are carrying right up into their adult, adult years, years. They're, they're carrying somebody else's yeah. pain and then we we can't really we've just got to heal our own oh um, my god yes yeah. that's so true even when you were talking to me the other day on the beach when we we're walking we we're talking about boundaries and putting boundaries up even if you have to do that with your parents at some mm. points too and say even though you want to help sometimes, but it's not serving you. So you might yeah. have to say, actually, no, I, I can't this time. And, you mm. know, being able to say no is so important yeah, as well and absolutely. have the boundaries. You're uh, just talking about this sort of off topic, but 
one of my sisters, she's always been a fixer, a helper, and she mm. that goes right back to childhood where she would intervene, um, you know, jump in between. Um, we had different mums, but um, she'd try and stop fights between her mum and, and my dad and, you know, would really go out of her way and you know, always looking after everyone, the siblings, and she's that is definitely carried on to adulthood to the detriment of her own self and her own happiness and um, it's starting to now manifest physically. And yeah. the, in Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, I've been mm-hmm. sharing some of that with her because she's the most mm-hmm. incredible, beautiful human. And she would do anything for anyone, but yeah. so much so that she never puts herself first. Neglect, yeah, neglect would neglect her own needs. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot of, about that sort of stuff. And I'll read something out of the Gabor Mate book, like, oh, listen to this. And she gets it. She knows it. Which I guess for her, it's that learning, the learning of how to say no or how to say, no, that's not going to serve me today. I need to put myself first. And and, and really being supported because I've got a little bit of that as well with um, I realized not that long ago, actually, that, you know, that for me at times saying no, what was happening is that actually what was stopping me saying no to a request was almost like the sort of actually was like primal panic and it went back to my childhood that it wasn't safe to say no because if I said no and didn't step up then we might you know we might die we might be kicked out of our house you know we all the things that I needed to do to keep to keep the house going yeah and so I think it's really you know it's just so important to you know, for, for as you're describing with your sister, for to, to for to be held safely to understand what what is so terrifying, what does unconsciously, um, you know, a person might feel might happen um, mm. if they assert and and have a need and sorry, I can't help you today. Yeah, you know, because underneath it is well the terror of not being not being loved. If I'm not serving. And yeah. if I'm not making myself indispensable mm. um, by being helpful, um, and so often people with that fawn response over-listen, over-help, mm. um, because there's just a terror that actually if, if they, you know, that they're not in, you know, that people won't want to be there for them. Yeah. They're, they're, they've, they've basically ensured their place in the world through yeah. service yeah. and not receiving and not receiving, and that's not the receiving. problem. not that, receiving, that's it, yeah. I think service is great if you can receive back. I struggle with that, that one a bit myself to be able to receive and I'm mm. really working on that one. But I know my even with drinking, um, just quickly because I know we have to wrap it up, but I know with drinking with myself that links it linked back in, when I looked back over my even my childhood because I came from a split family. So mum and dad had set children on either mm. side and then they got together and had me so all my siblings are effectively my half half siblings and I always had this I never felt I quite belonged I never felt I fit in and I really so wanted them to love me like yeah. and they probably did it was probably in my head but I so wanted to be accepted that I then I think going on into teenage years and into my early adulthood where I just so wanted to be accepted by people that I drank all you know and smoked and did all these things i didn't even like drinking when i started i hear i talk to people who say the first time they drank they just thought that's it they loved it i hated it i used to tip it when people weren't looking i'd tip it out and you know and and smoke and do other stupid things to please people which i'm sure a lot of people Mm -hmm. listening can relate and i realized 
years later that that I had this need to please, like this so need to please people to be accepted and liked. And once I realized that and I could recognize it, and it goes for a lot of like being overly generous, things like that. Absolutely. And I think, you, you know, you, you struck on something so important there, which is about um, the need to belong. Mm. And, and that's very strongly connected to the trauma response because, mm. you know, we all need to feel that we are completely welcomed into our family. Yeah. And through blended families or, you know, adoption, divorce, many, many things that happen um, – Often that's where the trauma starts is a sense of feeling I don't belong. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very strong yeah. one um, yeah. with me. So, yeah, and then realizing that, then it was like, okay, right, that's that's what that is. And then, okay, and I can just be aware of it. And it doesn't mean I don't do it. I still, mm. you know, but I'm more aware of it. I'm trying to rein it back a lot. So it's not just with drinking, like I say, it's with all other aspects of like really going out of my way for people sometimes and you've got a choice now haven't you, you, you yeah. it's, it's become something that you can consider yes rather than before you were just doing yep absolutely yeah. but yeah. one of the great blessings with being sober now and not having alcohol clouding the judgment is to be able to have conversations like this with people like you and learn all these things and start to learn these things about ourselves so that we can start that process of becoming whole. So, yes, so thank you for firstly being my friend and also for just opening up that world for me, showing me that Pete Walker book was first Mm -hmm. and I'm doing Gabor Mate's Compassionate Inquiry Inquiry, course, which one of my coaching clients told me about. I was like, what? And so, yeah, I'm signed up to do that in the next couple of weeks, which would be awesome. So I just thank you for all of that. Yeah, Jeannie O'Carroll, thank you so much for being here. You're amazing. Bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.